Hello and welcome to the Security DNA Podcast produced by SecurityInfoWatch.com. I'm John Doberstein, Managing Editor of Security InfoWatch and the producer of this podcast. The editors here at Security InfoWatch use this podcast to provide detailed, actionable information of value to security professionals. This will include industry news, trends and analysis, technology solutions, policy risk analysis, and management. For this episode, I have with me my colleague, Steve Lasky, who is the editorial director for the security group at Endeavor Business Media. Steve will be talking today with Jerry Brennan. Jerry Brennan co-founded the SMR Group in 1997. Under his leadership as chief executive, security management resources has evolved from a niche market security recruitment company into one of the world's leading executive search and management consulting firms. SMR Group's well-known international brand serves clients across diverse industries and sectors from SMR's offices in North America, the United Kingdom, and Hong Kong. Jerry's broad corporate executive leadership experience includes roles in domestic and international enterprise risk for large corporations such as Mobile Oil Corporation, the Chicago Board Options Exchange, and Panduit Corporation. He also consulted as the resident advisor to the Director General of the Royal Commission in Jubail, Saudi Arabia. He served with the United States Marine Corps in the U.S. and abroad and worked in law enforcement in Northern California, both during and following his service. His public sector career also included several years in Europe engaged with international authorities and agencies. Jerry has held volunteer leadership roles in many organizations, recently serving nine years on the board of directors for the Security Foundation, the organization that supports the mission of the U.S. State Department's Overseas Advisory Council. His advisory and committee work has included the Domestic Security Alliance Council, Women in Security, and other nonprofit organizations such as Hostage U.S. Publications include books on security, career advancement. He additionally chaired the ACES International Committee that developed and published the first ANSI Chief Security Officer Organizational Standard. Jerry's mentorship efforts extend to a wide range of government law enforcement and intelligence agencies and associations. He regularly coaches on topics such as DEI, professional advancement skills, competencies, and life balance. And with that, let's turn it over to Steve. Thanks, John. Appreciate that. Jerry, it's great to have you here. Oh. Uh, we we go back a ways, and I couldn't think of anybody else that I wanted to get on the podcast uh, this year. Well, Steve, thank you very, very much. It's truly a pleasure. Uh, I'm honored that uh, you uh, asked me to uh, participate in a topic that I feel very strongly about. Well, the topic we're going to be talking about is diversity, uh, equity, uh, and uh uh, and and uh, quality in the workplace, and uh, but first I, I want to kind I want to familiarize our audience about uh, your profession, what exactly a recruiter does in the corporate world, and uh, that in general terms, and specifically how it differs uh, in the security market. So kind of just give us a broad overview on uh, on what you do. Sure. Well, as a search firm, we are hired by um, the organization to assist in finding the staff that they are looking for. Um, Unlike um, in the past where people would uh, go to what was called a placement firm where uh, somebody would ask that firm to find them a job, 
that's not what we do. We're again hired by the corporations um, to work with them in developing the job, the specifications, the competencies needed, uh, any other nuances uh, toward the job. We also serve as a an advisor and, and consultant uh, to them in developing exactly what that job is, what the market looks like, and uh, what sort of person would best fit what they're asking for. And we do this on a worldwide basis. All right, John, I, I appreciate that explanation. That that gives us a kind of a good starting point for today's conversation. So a couple of years back, you stated that, unfortunately, diversity is still underrepresented in security and that our profession continues to struggle to attract uh, and or advance diverse candidates into the leadership ranks in a number of in numbers that accurately represent a cross section of the working population. You went on to say that your firm has a global client base to which you can relate having lived and worked around the world. So that experience has led you to observe that diversity and inclusion can be very subjective as we both know. Views shift depending on location and organization's goals and requirements surrounding regulatory uh, agencies and other uh, prejudicial tendencies crop up in areas such as tribalism, religion, uh, uh, original geographies, accents, and national origins. But I don't think anybody can argue with the advantages of having diverse and inclusive culture are well documented. And you agree that it's an important to understand that the landscape uh, and the underlying factors that require it, uh, you know, is going to be a, a dynamic change in our workplace. So kind of just, you know, back up that statement and, and give me a little context to that. Sure. And then we can kind of jump into some of the other talking points. Sure, absolutely. Well, first, we uh, have done some studies uh, within the security profession, and we've done it both in the U.S. and also looked at it abroad. And and just to, I'll give you some 50,000-foot views here of uh, really what it looks like. Um, this study um, was several thousand of uh, professionals in the security space. And so it was for the professional levels, it was not dealing with administration and the uh, security uh, guarding uh, space. And what we found just at the first level was that in the US, we're only looking at about 7.6% female representation uh, across this whole whole landscape. And uh, in abroad, it's about 6%. So this is pretty abysmal when you consider that that represents half the population. And then when you start getting a breakdown into some of the other underrepresented groups, uh, those numbers are also equally abysmal. Um, but there's a, a, an interesting note that I, I had in the last study that even though we're represented, let's say, by six point, you know, 7.6% uh, female across the board in, in the U.S., um, those numbers are almost doubled um, if you isolate the Black African American community in security and the Asian Pacific Islander community, um, which have higher percentages of females uh, within security. It's just a small anomaly that we just happen to pick up on. Um, what um, is really unusual about uh, looking at this 
is we also studied what was the feed to the corporate security. And we found that roughly 65 to 75% of the people in corporate security have worked in government. They didn't necessarily retire, but they came from public agencies. And those public agencies tended to be both the intelligence community and the law enforcement community. Yeah, so let me jump in here, Jerry, because you supplied uh, some just eye-popping statistics uh, from a diversity in public agencies research study that you all have done recently. Right. Uh, And like you said, given that 65 to 70 percent of professional level corporate security practitioners uh, have been uh, with government agencies, military or law enforcement in the past, uh, this this really is jumps out at me. So I just want to go through a couple of the statistics here and then uh, we, we can have you discuss them. Uh, According to the U.S. Department of Justice, the diversity breakdown in law enforcement is as follows. Uh, White uh, 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 law enforcement uh, officials uh, are almost 60 percent, black or 17 percent, Hispanic, 15 percent, Asian, 5 percent, American Indian, uh, Alaska Natives, uh, 2.3 and others, 1.6. Percentages of women in law enforcement by agency, uh, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, uh, report the following law enforcement agency breakdowns, and these are even more discouraging. Uh, The FBI, uh, 15.3% women. DEA, 14%. Customs, uh, almost 20%. Uh, The ATF, 20%. The Marshal Service, almost 18%, Secret Service, 15%, and Immigration ICE, uh, almost 17%. Uh, you know, when I look at those statistics, it's it's interesting. You and I were talking before we got on the uh, uh, on the on the podcast today, and I had mentioned that I was going through, which I usually do in the morning, just kind of survey my LinkedIn feed. And it was interesting because there was a uh, rather robust conversation this morning from uh, uh, several retired FBI agents and law enforcement officers who uh, were espousing the opinion that uh, uh, the uh, DEI uh, mandates uh, in in the agency, uh, FBI being one agency, and uh, was just ripping apart the fabric of the FBI, the uh, integrity, the uh, the uh, ethos of picking the best person for the job. And then, of course, you had to have some retired military folks pop in and say, too, that the military is not what it used to be since uh, we've expanded uh, both gender, uh, gender neutral and uh, ethnic uh, requirements in some of the upper uh, uh uh, ranks of the of the military. So, uh, being someone that uh, had a father who was in the military for thirty years, uh, I find talk like that very distressing, and especially the FBI talk when we see the controversies we're seeing anyway that uh, is being thrown at the FBI because of some of the tribalism that yeah. we're uh, we're experiencing in the U.S. So, I mean, what do you make of these statistics? Again, like you say, because this is usually the feed to our corporate. Uh, a, uh, our corporate organizations. I, I found the statistics extremely interesting because um, they have a better representation of diversity than the profession. 
and and for um, the government uh, in general to have um, you know better numbers, albeit still room for improvement, um, is really surprising that uh, this uh, this area, the corporate security, which uh, is trying to lead the uh, uh, security and risk profession um, is so far behind on that. Um, the other thing, and, and you didn't mention, was the intelligence community has a much better representation. Right. right. Um, you know the um, reporting that was uh, you know done by the government uh, in two thousand and one uh, suggested that about forty uh, percent of the intelligence officers were female. Well, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and I happen to have a discussion um, with uh, with an official of the, the Canadian intelligence group, CSIS. Um, and several years ago, they had they recognized they had a problem. And so they put a lot of effort into diversity, both on the female side as well as cross-cultural side because of, you know, the uh, obvious in increase in uh, immigration that uh, Canada had and their numbers are are very similar and, and uh, perhaps even a little higher uh, as well. So um, times are changing. Well, you said I find that you, the term you just used, you said that uh, in this particular uh, environment, uh, uh, those numbers are to be expected. Why, why do you say that? Well, what you're doing is is you are looking at trying to identify, um, you know, human behaviors um, and uh, activities around the world across many, many populations and many, many groups. And so it's best as, you know, an intelligence officer that you look like the population. Right. You can't um, send, frankly, um, you know, exclusively white males into these environments or into different uh, groups or activities or whatever the uh, the mission that's defined, you know, by, you know, the uh, government agencies. Um, if you don't look like the population and don't have a diversity of, of concepts, ideas, culture, uh, language, right. Right. Um, you, you know, I, 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 we had an article that was done um, uh, earlier this month uh, from uh, David uh, Lee, who uh, is a um, engineer. He's a uh, cybersecurity uh, expert. Uh, he's also uh, uh, a black uh, a black security professional, mm -hmm. and uh, he he had an article. The article was, was basically revolving around uh, historically black colleges and universities about them picking up the mantle and trying to drive uh, more black cybersecurity uh, executives into the workforce. But I I, I found his opening uh, paragraph. Very interesting. I to the story, and I just I wanted to share that with you, and then you know maybe we can kind of dis, you sure. know, discuss that. He said that the digital landscape, with its vibrant and ever evolving nature, pulsates with innovation and possibilities. However, 
With this dynamic realm, there exists a notable gap, a glaring underrepresentation of black voices and perspectives, particularly in the field of cybersecurity. This deficit is not just a statistical anomaly, it represents a missed opportunity, a stifled chorus of potential solutions left unsung in the fight against emerging threats and challenges. By embracing diversity, fostering inclusion, we can weave a more completely complete tapestry of knowledge, expertise, experiences, and unlock a wealth of untapped potential for the benefit of all. I, I found that particularly uh, germane to the, the conversation because you have mentioned in the past that yeah. change is not going to happen quickly, but no. you've got to have increasing awareness uh, with opportunities that are there. And uh, you have to act- actively discourage the philosophy of repeating things because they've always been done a certain way. And that seems to have you know, been a mantra in cor- corporate America, especially when we're talking about the inherent biases uh, that uh, are in, you know, hindering the diversity of hiring. Uh, talk a little bit about how uh, job descriptions are, are flawed and the buzzwords and descriptions really present a, uh, a, a you know a bad uh, <laughs> yeah a bad step in, the, in in when folks are looking to get in to uh, into that uh, into a job they're just uh, they're uh, and immediately eliminated well absolutely and there and there's been some studies on that. In fact, there's some some companies that uh, we've seen out there hired by organizations to try to make their job descriptions uh, gender gender and diversity neutral. Um, because when anyone grows up in whatever cultural environment uh, or group that they have grown up in, there's going to be certain terminology or words that are just going to be perceived as being negative um, or bothersome to you. And if we create job descriptions whose entire tone is overly masculine or uh, overly focused to one uh, particular group, um, you're not going to have that group want to actually apply. Now, there's other studies that have been done um, that suggest that women as a group feel they have to be a a much higher percentage match in reading the job description before they will apply, where men will do it in the almost 20 percentile area. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, you were looking at, you know, your experience has demonstrated that, that yeah. women are not going to apply for jobs yeah. uh, 90 to 100 percent match yeah. you know, if they don't have a 90 to 100 percent match exactly. where, exactly. like you say, men, all they're looking at is, you know, hey, I can get Let's by on 60. Yes, right. the title is 60 percent. Right, exactly. And so I, I also suspect, too, that uh, in inside of organizations, when they do internal postings, you know, for internal promotions and so forth uh, as well. And it's a large enough organization um, where not everybody knows everybody. Um, they're going to have the same the same issues. Um, so um, we're well, we're just you know continuing to perpetuate the problem. Yeah, well, another yeah, no, I mean, another issue too is is the fact that you know you've got a lot of organizations that are, uh, and and maybe not 
as much as it used to be when you and I first got into the security industry, uh, where you're, you're bringing in, uh, uh, retired policemen, retired right. agency people. And, you know, they're just hell bent on, uh, recreating that security department yes. in yeah. the image of the organization they just left. So right. but basically you're perpetuating, right. uh, these inherent biases in the organization that they inherit. Uh, how do you, how do you work with HR? How do you work with, uh, your, the organization to kind of change that culture and, and, and bring in a little better, uh, uh, diversity of employee and, and ideas. We're, we're actually pretty direct about that issue. Um, and, and not only to the, to the HR, you know, clients and so forth, but also, um, as we, um, I'll, I'll say educate or try to make people coming out of government aware of what the opportunities are within the security space. I mean, we've given talks to a wide variety of, of groups and agencies with this. And I always caution them, do not duplicate your former agency because you will not get um, diversity of ideas, diversity of critical thinking, um, diversity of um, trying to have a different perspective and connecting what appear to be disparate dots to achieve some solution or put forth some uh, program initiative to help reduce uh, security uh, risk. Um, and it's it's critical that we do this today. It's part of critical thinking skills. It's part of cognitive thinking skills, and not to just perpetuate what I call tribalism. Right, right. You know, it, it's interesting too because we're we're definitely in a place and time in our society where uh, you almost have two camps of uh, people uh, that. Uh, uh, are up in arms because they think, uh, you know, everybody's got to get a trophy for participation. Right. They think that uh, organizations and, and, and businesses have to dilute their requirements for employees just to meet a quota. Even the Supreme Court, uh, you know, backed that with uh, 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 recently with their decision for some of the uh, university and college uh, right. admission programs. Uh, so, I mean, how do we uh, as a society uh, you know, take uh, away some of that new anti-woke, uh, which the, which the term's being used incorrectly yeah, uh, by the people that are using it. Uh, so discuss a little bit about the impact of societal and, and political pushback on DEI uh, initiatives. Yeah, well, first, I think the, um, both the Supreme Court decisions as well as the pushback was highly predictable. Correct. Um, and the the reason that I believe it was predictable was in very laudable efforts to try to correct what was clearly systemic uh, prejudice across different groups and so forth. Um, they felt that, well, we'll just force the numbers. Well. I understand why we needed to do that as a start, but at the same time, this is a, a multi-dimensional effort and you're going to have to study root cause. Right. And not just say, oh, because people were bad or people did 
you know, we're prejudiced and so forth. Um, and it has to be a, a, a joint effort. Now, in the case of the Supreme Court's decision, um, what for me was most noteworthy was while these colleges were trying to correct uh, the diversity numbers, at the same time, they were perpetuating the underlying issue that was the cause by also giving weight to alumni. Now, right. if their alumni <laughs> represented underrepresented groups and right. you're giving <laughs> preference. Yeah. And having, 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 the, having the legacy uh, option there sort of defeats uh, the entire yeah, purpose I mean, of the, the argument. The, the, the logic of that, you know, frankly, kind of escapes me uh, right. and wonder why you, you don't have a problem. Um, but I think well, again, uh, I, th I think that all gets down to the point that we don't have clear cut understanding no. of what no. diversity and, and, and equity uh, standards and eventually what, right. what, what the goal is that that's right. the problem. And I, I think in speaking with, you know, so many, uh, people that, you know, have been, uh, underrepresented, it's not a number. It is an equality of opportunity level, the playing field. That's, that's what, uh, the focus needs to be and but there's other you know related issues that uh, also need to be looked at I once posed a question to you know one of the one of the groups that I was participating in uh, when they were saying that women are underrepresented and I said has anybody asked and gone out and spoke to people and determined if they even find the profession of interest. Mm. Um, I'm not trying to justify the underrepresentation, but we have to ask the right questions. And well, we have a big problem in this in the in the security sector, whether it be uh, on the. Uh, technician side, whether it be on the vendor side, whether it be on the corporate and practitioner side of, uh, of having some sort of uh, path to leadership, some sort of path to uh, uh, responsibility, uh, and just interesting, and, and, and just having younger uh, uh, people of all colors, races, and genders, right. uh, you know, have some interest in our, in, in our industry, uh, is it, it, we're not doing a good job of that. And, you know, no. I have discussions again with, with CSOs, with, uh, uh, with manufacturers and with systems integrators, systems integrators are, or are, are have practices dying on the vine because they can't, uh, hire and keep qualified technicians. Uh, well, are we doing a good job as an industry, providing uh, underserved communities with the technical training uh, and the uh, uh, the ability to have uh, a path to joining an integration firm are we uh, you know are we doing a good job right. with our associations and other companies mentoring uh, folks and, and establishing mentoring programs no. for diverse backgrounds you know so just discuss a little bit you know what are some of the ongoing efforts? Yeah and initiatives well, that you see. First, let me 
jump back to something you said about trying to attract people. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, I think, failure point uh, that's been going on for as long as I've been involved with the industry is defining what this space is, defining the nature of the roles that are out there, the related skills, and the related competencies. Yeah, right on, right on. And, you know, we, um, there's a lot of job descriptions. I know that uh, when uh, Fouché went and started the uh, study for salary right. purposes, that they had right. to write job descriptions. Right. The concept is you match a job description uh, to uh, the one in your organization so you can report on the salary. Um, and we've done a lot of work in that space as well, where we've identified all of the key attributes across literally hundreds and hundreds of job descriptions um, that make up the um, both the soft skills as well as the hard skills that are related to that particular role. Uh, just as an example, I think we have about 24 different varieties of investigations that we've identified. So you can't just say, well, I have experience in investigations. Um, and to that, we have to publish that. We have to get out and give this to career counselors and universities and high schools and, and out and talk. Quit talking to ourselves. Talk to our client <laughs> community. You know, oh, the that client is, that is, is so the business true. community, oh, the NGOs, the, the nonprofits, the the society. Uh, uh, yeah, we do a great we do a great job talking among ourselves. Right. Uh, you know, I, I read I read an article recently uh, where uh, uh, several companies were doing outreach to the community, looking for both. Uh, uh, executive types and, uh, uh, and and technical types for their organization, and when they posed the question of what is security, well, you know the first <laughs> the first right. answer that came back is they thought it was Ali the security mall right. uh, guy, uh, or it was uh, uh, you know somebody that's that's, that's stood around uh, uh, at a bank protecting the vault. Uh, so we do a very poor job of proselytizing our own industry. Oh, exactly. That's 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 it, and I think um, until we can comfortably define it, um, we need to scale the uh, efforts on this problem. We can't fix it with little onesies and twosie efforts that maybe make people feel good or make an organization feel good. We can't just, oh, we're going to do a, uh, a scholarship for somebody and we do one or two. Right. I mean, this is a global problem. This is a national problem. No, no. You, need to, you need to put it together as a, a, both a policy effort and a strategic effort uh, on a scale basis. So what do you see as yeah? So what do you see as possible opportunities and solutions for sustainable improvement to to change this coursework? I'm glad you asked that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you would. <laughs> First, we have to acknowledge there's a problem. 
<laughs> sort of like a nine-step program. Correct. <laughs> um, we have to really study and publish the underlying causes. We can't make assumptions, and and we can't cherry pick, you know, one or two, you know, cases. We have to define what we were saying. The entirety of the roles, the competencies and skills that are needed here uh, for these different roles and really get to the nuts and bolts. Don't, you know, most of these job descriptions just drone on and they, and people publish their, their daily tasks. <laughs> that's, right. That's very true. They're very not true. writing a job description. They're writing a, a list of tasks that they do, uh, which isn't, necessarily you know representative of the of the role that's needed um, they also don't separate the skills and competencies and characteristics um, well, I, I, you know I, jerry done. i mean i think yeah i'll just jump in real quick because yeah. i think that's a that's a huge issue uh our company uh we've had rapid growth over the last three years at uh, endeavor business media right. and uh we have spent and we've we've merged uh almost a, you know a half dozen large media companies and the biggest job that we have done, besides acclimating management structure, uh, over the last two and a half years, has been to put together a job description portfolio right. and match people with their proper job descriptions, and then equate proper compensation with those job descriptions. Oh, yeah. And people people think that's an easy chore. No. It is an arduous, tedious chore that if not done correctly will will skew your organization and not for the better. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And the thing that's unfortunate about that is this this is not a newly discovered endeavor. This has been out there, there's companies that specialize right, exactly. in doing this right. with corporations. Exactly. Um, they train HR. There's books written on 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 how how this uh, is done and how it's approached. Um, so, you know, why we haven't done this, um, you know, as a profession as a you know the efforts of various you know trade associations and membership associations and organizations you know most of their material is you know operational it's cherry picking some problem it's it's not strategic which is really disappointing right. um, the other opportunity that we're missing is Identify other professional areas that have matching skills and competencies. You know, you can take a look for an example. You know, if you want to pick the investigative space um, and you say, okay, in your organization um, and you have different investigations that might come up, which group do you work with as a partner in those investigations? Well, you have IT, different areas of IT. You have audit. Uh, you have HR. You have legal. Supply chain. Marketing. Right. And having worked with 
all of those groups over the years, you know, when I was on the uh, practitioner side, um, you'd be surprised that they, they really get into it. They really get into the analysis or the, you know, trying to find a solution. And they also get into uh, not only identifying the issue involving, let's say, the investigation, but also what can we do that it doesn't happen again? And um, so when I talk to a lot of CSOs that have uh, recruited from within their own organization or recruited backgrounds that aren't necessarily um, traditional, um, and I think we're really missing a, a lot of opportunities not to do this on a scale. Um, and conversely, some of those areas have a better representation with diversity coming full circle right. than law enforcement. Right. So. Well, let's let's kind of close out with okay. uh, a uh, just, you know, your your feeling on uh, when you take into consideration where we are right now. Uh, as a country, uh, where we may be headed as a country, uh, what the needs are for meeting uh, minority hiring and uh, and minority leadership moving forward in the security industry. Are we in a better place than we were 10 years ago? Are we in a worse place or are we stagnant? Yeah, I am. Um... I think we're we're definitely ahead, just flat out. Um, I'm glad I'm, glad to hear that. I'm, I'm encouraged um, with another growing area of corporate security, which is in the intelligence and analysis. Right. And um, if you look at that, and you look at the many pieces that it supports and the opportunity to involve different people you know in that space right um and i think that is an area that would be highly attractive to um you know both diversity groups and 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 women in fact i've noticed uh through you know being involved with the women in security group um that there seems to be a on the surface a higher percentage of of women across all uh, you know protected groups right. that gravitate toward that. Um, so I think that that may be a a, a good entry point uh, there. Uh, also, when you consider that resiliency. Uh, business continuity, crisis management, uh, planning, and a lot of other uh, key functional areas of interest to the board of directors, you know, in these organizations right. um, uh, are not the traditional security, you know, catch people stealing stuff out of right. whatever. 
<laughs> so a lot, lot more analytics and proactive oh yeah security absolutely. we're not a, we're not a we're not a knee-jerk absolutely. industry anymore i mean for me you know i uh, this is my 35th year in the industry here and it yeah. the the complexion and the tent uh, and the diversity is certainly widened since i've been there i mean just walking trade shows uh, is a big difference. But I, I think when I look at uh, the Security uh, Industry Association uh, and their initiatives uh, with women in security, with more women in security groups, uh, with uh, vendors that, uh, and I think vendors are are outpacing uh, the corporate sectors, putting women in, in places of power and leadership, which is very encouraging. And then, you know, the entrepreneurship of women in the manufacturing side of our industry is extremely encouraging. So uh, I, I feel a little more upbeat. I'm, I'm hoping we don't take a Neanderthal step back, pol politically speaking. Uh, but uh, I, I think, you know, the human nature uh, of, of, of U.S. citizens is overwhelmingly good and i think you know we we want to have a more diverse representative population and it doesn't matter the industry we're in so jerry this has been a great conversation you are a wonder uh, a wonderful resource for us uh we're gonna we'll have to do this again talk yeah. about other things so again i appreciate you uh, uh joining us today and um again uh john i will throw it back to you well, Steve, I want to thank you and Jerry for this fantastic discussion about the need for a diverse and inclusive culture in the security industry and the importance of understanding the landscape and some of the underlying factors that require adjustment to help change this dynamic. Just a reminder to our audience, this podcast is for you so you can stay informed about trends in the security industry anywhere, anytime. To access our podcast lineup, go to podbean.com and search for Security DNA. You can also find our podcasts in our Security Frontline, Integrator Newswire, and Security Week e-newsletters. Of course, we'd love to get some feedback from you, our listeners, about topics they're interested in. If you have a suggestion, send an email to Steve Lasky, S-L-A-S-K-Y, at securityinfowatch.com. This episode of Security DNA Podcast was recorded and produced by John Doberstein, Managing Editor of Security InfoWatch. For Steve Lasky, Jerry Brennan, and everyone here at Security InfoWatch, thanks for listening and stay safe out there wherever you may be.